Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Erin Hesse, Connections Coordinator at High Point Church, and I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson. Hey. And we have been just plowing forward in this Onward series the last couple of weeks. Um, we're in the middle of September 2016, and just this last week on the 25th, we talked about mission, where Pastor Lloyd gave a fantastic sermon about what it means for High Point Church specifically to live on mission um, in terms of our values and what that means um, for us as we look holistically into living out the gospel. So, um, Nick, we'd love to also hear your thoughts on this, on the chapter um, by Russell Moore. Um, So any opening thoughts as you think about mission and and how it relates to us engaging with the culture? I mean, Lloyd did a super important job just covering in the sermon the mission that Jesus gave the church, which is to make disciples of all nations, Mm -hmm. which includes going to them, it includes um, leading them to the point of baptism, which means a, a place of solid personal conversion of trusting in Jesus as his death and resurrection for their sin mm-hmm. um, and his remaking of them from the inside out, the regeneration of the giving of the Spirit. Th- there's a solid conversion mm-hmm. of moving from one kingdom to another. Mm-hmm. But then also Jesus said, in teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Right. Right. And that's critically important. And that Jesus said at the very beginning, I have the authority to do this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Mm-hmm. And then at the end he says, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. And to recognize that that commission is what Jesus gave for the church to do. And that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, that doesn't take away from Jesus' command to Peter, for example, at the end of John, where he says, feed my sheep, mm-hmm. take care of my sheep. That is what we do. We do that also. Mm-hmm. Right? But we don't. We don't do it at any moment forgetting our mission, which is to make disciples of all nations, mm-hmm. to invite people into the kingdom of Christ. Sure. So at High Point, our mission is to make disciples through gospel connection, growth, and service. Mm-hmm. And so, first of all, with everything we're talking about, is that a whole, is that holistic in how we do think about it um, as we think about the mission and what more is saying here? And if it's not, what is at stake if we don't grasp the mission fully? Yeah, I mean, our mission statement um, with that second part through gospel connection, growth, and service is Mm -hmm. designed to be holistic, right? That Mm -hmm. the gospel, the message of Christ himself is at the center of everything. And that real human relating includes real relationships, both with God and with other people, Mm -hmm. connecting, real growth, that there's content and mastery that takes place, Mm -hmm. learning and application, all that kind of thing. And then service where we actually love moves out from us towards others Mm -hmm. and which always includes Mm self-sacrifice right and without those three components you can't be meaningfully or meaningfully christian Mm -hmm. right and so gospel through gospel connection growth and service is designed to make sure that there's no major facet of human experience and expression Mm -hmm. that we have limited the gospel from yeah and the whole point of that is so that we would be we would be holistic Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more also talks about that in included in um, the mission that it's not, it's more than even just self-sacrifice and, um, the, that love and how we view loving people holistically should also include, um, calling people out on when they are doing something that's wrong mm-hmm. in, within the church. Um, and it's, but that doesn't seem to be something that we talk about as much. So did you, I mean, do we take something away from that, like in this particular sermon or like, what would mm-hmm. you say yeah, to that? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really confusing in our present culture is definitions of very key ideas, like what love is, mm-hmm. right? 
And throughout most of history, whether pagan or Christian, people understood that love is the commitment of the will and action to the true good of another, Mm. to the true good, not what they want or even what they ask for or what they ask you to affirm, but it's always to their true good. That's why parents would always discipline their children, Mm -hmm. right? Because the idea is not that the kid wants more ice cream and that we should be accepting of that or affirming of that, but the kid needs development and parents Mm -hmm. have to do certain things to for their true good that is ultimately right Mm -hmm. but that's always what love is Mm -hmm. you know if you if you or i start going off the deep end on something that our true good is always somebody being like hey this is not the right way Mm -hmm. to go Mm -hmm. so church discipline and interpersonal hard conversations are part of love and um i mean there's a proverb that says in the bible that says um, faithful are the wounds of a friend, hmm. but an enemy multiplies kisses, or the old King James was, but hmm. deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Meaning hmm. that like, actually not having hard conversations, that's called flattery. Mm-hmm. And that's a vice, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, church discipline and hard conversations, rebuke and correction, as the Bible calls it. I mean, those are, those are very constantly repeated in the New Testament mm-hmm. of being integral to what it means for us to believe and obey the gospel together. Mm-hmm. So as you're talking about, if we know, or as believers, we mm-hmm. know what true good is, or we think we're on the track to understanding what true good should look like as we study the Bible, um, as we develop accountability between other believers within the church, that often falls in the, under the umbrella of um, personal or moral decisions that we should make on a personal level. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot in Onward about social justice issues and um a lot of times even you know within the church we see that we should be separating those two concepts that to do good to truly do good is more of a moral code and what i should personally be following what i do on a social justice level is different and i have to think differently about that is that accurate accurate in your mind and does more argue that or against that Right. So for those reading the book, Moore argues against that. Mm-hmm. In the, the example he uses is sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. He's like, if somebody fornicates with somebody else, is that not a personal morality issue because there's one other person involved? And because there's two people, that's social. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's not a personal morality issue. He's like, of course, that's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. It's both a personal morality issue. But when there's two people involved, that means somebody else is affected, mm-hmm. which means it's social, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so it, almost everything that we almost everything that we do, there's very few things that we do that literally affect no one else, right? Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean see a merely social justice view of things would say if you if or this would be also be a libertarian view of things if you engage in an action and literally no other human is directly affected, then that action is morally neutral by definition. Mm-hmm. Christians don't believe that. Right. We believe that that all actions are intrinsically good or evil. And in relationship to whatever else they might affect. Mm-hmm. But they're intrinsically so, based on the purpose of the thing doing it, mm-hmm. right? So because of that, you can't really separate personal morality and the social effects of that morality. I hesitate. I don't, want to, I don't like to use the word social justice because social justice is in the same category with the word love. Hmm. That <laughs> people, people just say it yeah. to either appro- to approve and disapprove of things. Sure. So if they approve of something, they call it social justice. Yeah. If they disapprove of something, they call it social injustice, mm-hmm. and that we need to be seeking social justice. Mm-hmm. 
So it's a terribly confused concept and people um, use it to mean utterly contradictory things mm-hmm. and so on. So, uh, But social justice simply, its accurate meaning is that we have responsibilities to people that aren't ourselves. Mm-hmm. And those responsibilities are rooted in our social position, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm a husband, I have a social responsibility to my wife, mm-hmm. to my children, right? As a citizen, I have certain social responsibilities in the city I live or in the country I live, right? Mm-hmm. If my country is attacked, I may have... A, a responsibility to fight and die. But that doesn't mean I should be fighting and killing people whenever I feel like mm-hmm. it, right? So there are these, but see, when you understand social justice that way, social justice isn't you have the responsibility to go along with whatever takes us to what we all think might be utopia. Mm-hmm. What social justice is, it's a part of personal morality, which is engaged in your responsibility to others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I can have a personal responsibility towards charitable giving. Mm-hmm. And that that's an issue of social justice because I'm giving to help others. But but it doesn't mean I have to give to a particular program that's going to lead us to utopia. See, when most people in our culture say social justice, they mean I have a picture of the good society in my head. In order to get to that good society, we have to do programs A, B, and C, mm-hmm. right? Nice. You have to vote for them, approve of them, fund them, accept their unintended consequences, whatever. Right. Because it's your responsibility to be part of us getting to utopia, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's communism. That's, I mean, <laughs> that empirically produces horrific things among human beings. Mm-hmm. And it, it also isn't social justice. Mm-hmm. That's not what that means. You have no responsibility to bring about a utopia, to like sort of affirm or be part of a political, mm-hmm. but you do have responsibilities to other humans. Those are personal moral dictates that are social in their nature, and you engaging in them is doing what is socially just, sure. and you are morally responsible to do it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So, so determining what it is, what is it exactly that I should be doing in order to bring about um, the yeah, what is most good, or you know, in in the society that we're in. Um, more, he says um, in his chapter on page um, 108, he says, A church that doesn't form consciences um, for such a calling will only ensure that those consciences are shaped by something other than the gospel. So as a church, how do we distinguish conscience from developing a per- particular view or a stance that should be taken? Because I think that that is where people have been hurt, you know, in the church where they, mm-hmm. or or if they're not hurt, then they're puffed up thinking that they should believe a certain thing um, because it comes from the pulpit. Um, I mean, that's got to be a fine line for you as a pastor, knowing how to to walk that, to guide mm-hmm. someone correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So Moore makes a pretty, pretty important statement about, you know, if you don't, I mean, one of his arguments is, for example, if you would have gone back to where, when the Southern Baptist denomination was founded, Right, which is his denomination. Mm-hmm. His denomination was founded in in the in the age of owning slaves and Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you would have asked somebody in my denomination then, like, how does the gospel relate to slavery? They'd be they'd say, don't get political on me, mm-hmm. right? And he's right. like, um, it, that's probably not like it is, polit- but it's not political too. Like, yeah. own you know, having a regime of kidnapping and enslavement that's not political mm-hmm. merely. It's moral. It's fundamentally moral. Um, and so he'd say the churches, by not saying much about that, mm-hmm. said much about mm-hmm. it, right? And so it's true that what we don't talk about, we're saying much about, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a fine line there, and, and Moore doesn't really talk about this in the book, in the realm of qualifications. Mm-hmm. Because, 
just because we have the gospel actually doesn't make us qualified to to know the answer about everything. This is one of the reasons why I don't I don't participate like with the, in the Wisconsin Council of Churches or the National Council of Churches, mm-hmm. the sort of liberal consortium of churches, and they're yeah. always after a particular policy. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, this pol- this this bill is before the state legislature. You should advocate for people to vote for it or for your representative. Vote for it. Mm-hmm. There's all this political action, and a lot of it is around things that those people don't have any idea what they're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. So as I, as a pastor, as I've been drawn into these kinds of things, like, hey, why don't you talk about poverty? Why don't you talk about race? Why don't you talk about those kinds of things? I, my first pastor said, be careful about what you think you're qualified to talk about just because you believe in Jesus. Hmm. Right. Just because yeah. you believe in Jesus does not mean you understand macroeconomics mm-hmm. or world history or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can think you're omni-qualified because you believe in the king. Mm-hmm. And you're not. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so because I believe in Jesus doesn't mean I know how to treat breast cancer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you get into politics and political questions, which are social questions, Mm -hmm. there's a fine line between saying we live in a community where X number of thousands of black and and Latino kids, right, for example, are below grade level in reading. Mm -hmm. And that is going to create a huge problem in the future. Mm -hmm. And for them in their lives and their experience, that problem right now, every day when they go to school, they feel terrible, right? Mm It is one thing to say, that's not okay. Somehow we should care about this, and somehow we should do something about this. Mm -hmm. That's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say that what we should do is we should levy 4% more property tax, and we should invest all that money in the public school system. Mm -hmm. Or that we should create all charter schools, or we should blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible doesn't dictate whether you should put all your money in private schools or public schools or any of those things. There is a political philosophy and political assumptions and scientific data and all those things that are related to those kinds of things that we normally know nothing about. Mm -hmm. So on one level, we should be able to say, that thing looks like racism, and we should investigate whether it is. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the shootings of of these black men by police Mm -hmm. in America that that have been caught on video and that now are being shown a lot, right? Mm -hmm. We might not jump up and say, that is racism, these people should be convicted, this is the... But we might come in and say, okay, this matters. These black lives matter, Mm -hmm. right? So then how do we act for accountability and vigilance? Mm -hmm. Not being rash, not assuming the worst on whoever's not popular at the moment, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is what rebellious human nature would do, but to Mm -hmm. say, okay... What do we? How do we act faithfully to try to make the truth come out? To ask to try to figure out what the heck we should do, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that there's that Christians need to speak up and like I, you don't have to know much about medical sciences to know that um, killing unborn babies is wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not super within a gospel perspective. That's not hard. Yeah. Right. Um, how much government should support should be offered? for mothers who are unwed and pregnant to deal with the difficulty of their unwanted pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a policy issue yeah. that has lots of other things related to it, right? Mm-hmm. So Christians, I think Christians have actually done a good job in the pro-life movement in that they've been like, we shouldn't be aborting children. Mm-hmm. We need to make crisis pregnancy centers so that women who find themselves pregnant have somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. A lot of those have built annexes on them so that those women have a place to actually live for several months, either while they're pregnant or after they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
like that that's a pretty holistic approach but it's not self-righteous like we know all the legislation that should be related to full and complete eudaim- eudaimonia like the good life in all ways related to all people mm-hmm. that should be instantiated by some governmental resource we haven't done that we just said this is this action is wrong we know that we know this action is wrong we know that women are put in oftentimes very difficult positions because they're disempowered in a context mm-hmm. and yet the thing that would free them from that difficult situation is also even more wrong, mm-hmm. right? And so therefore, we should rush in and create some soothing of that issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult when you start talking about things like educational policy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the church has to speak about this stuff, but the church has to be really careful about how these... Because the more I've I've been pushed by other pastors and people like, you need to talk more about mm-hmm. this. I've spent, I've spent, like, at this point in my life, hundreds of hours reading on social policy, mm-hmm. macro and microeconomics, issues of race, and the, the statistics of understanding things like racial criminality and stuff like that. And what I find is that the truth is way different than you would think from mm-hmm. just listening to news sources. And so it actually can get really touchy once you start saying, we need to say something about this. Mm-hmm. But what do you say right. about it? Yeah. Right? And so we need to say things like, Christianity relates to race. Mm -hmm. Jesus died to make one new man out of many races and peoples. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we should be seeking one people and one race in the church and then beyond through reconciliation of various kinds and so on, right? Mm -hmm. That's, you don't have to be a sociologist to know that. Mm -hmm. You just read your Bible, Ephesians 2, and you got it, right? Mm -hmm. What do we do about racial disparities in this public school system? On one level, it's not as simple, so we should keep our mouths shut. But you can't just say that. You can't just go, well, it's too difficult for us to know what right. to do, so let's ignore it. You can't do that either. Right. Right? So that's where it becomes difficult, where the church has to have people that are virtuous enough that they trust. People like Russell Moore, frankly, mm-hmm. who, who are God's spoiled children who can look at the issue mm-hmm. and who we trust. And when they say, hey, I think we should do this, we have to find some voices we feel like we can trust and believe. Mm-hmm. And at the very least, having, um, like, having a congregation and having the church develop a conscience to Mm -hmm. determine even on their own what that might look like because it could look different for me to go out and serve and love and bring justice to someone than it does for you and and um like you said like with um unborn babies it doesn't mean that i would be okay with abortion you wouldn't and that type of Mm -hmm. type of discrepancy would be okay but there are different ways about going about things that Mm -hmm. um yeah, you and I might not agree on the best foster policy. Right. At what point do you terminate a parent's, a like dysfunctional parent's sure. rights yep. so that somebody in the foster system can adopt a kid? Mm-hmm. Like how many chances do they get? Mm-hmm. How many times does a mom get to be found with coke in her system mm-hmm. while she has a two-year-old yeah. before you're like, um, we're taking your two-year-old? Mm-hmm. Well, people argue a lot about that, mm-hmm. right? And our society has like fluctuated radically. Like, no, you get caught doing that, your kid is gone mm-hmm. to like... No, you can fail like 70, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth on that. Mm-hmm. And all those policies have implications for kids and the parents and the foster parents and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we may disagree on like the subtleties of that, but we can agree on things like foster parenting is an inherent good, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, social work should look out for kids. Kids do have the right whenever possible to live with their biological parents, they have that need. That, that is a fundamental child right mm-hmm. to live in close proximity to both of their biological parents. Whenever that's possible, it should be, mm-hmm. right? Re- mm-hmm. Relative to how damaging, how damaging right. that is, right? Mm-hmm. But you will disagree on how relative, right? Mm-hmm. We'll disagree on that. Right. But we're not going to disagree, Christianly speaking, right. that, 
children have that right, that foster parenting is an inherent good when necessary, that social work is a noble profession, right? Mm-hmm. Those we can, we can agree on and we can say. Right. That I can say, if you want to go into social work, you're not abandoning your call to evangelism. You are doing a fundamental good in the world mm-hmm. that is part of bringing, bringing creation into its right order. Mm-hmm. And that's good. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yep. Yeah. And again, and the point of that is to, is for Christians to not just sit back and say, okay, I, I can't know the ultimate right utopian answer. And yet that doesn't mean that I shouldn't research or try to strive to figure out what the best thing is to do, um, what the Lord does want me to do specifically in my situation. Right. Right. And that leads me to another thing that's very important in this present situation. Because in our present situation, people know that if you try to steward the honesty of your own voice, you're going to get attacked and people are going to try to discredit you mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a in context like this that are fairly complicated, the only way people, whole peoples, can move in similar directions is around a leader that they believe is fundamentally virtuous. Mm-hmm. Because the issues are all too complicated, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do, how do you, like you're doing your work at church all day, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to you know call people back and help people mm-hmm. get connected, right? Mm-hmm. And then somebody's like, hey, race is a big issue in Madison. And you're like, oh, really? You know, And you're <laughs> like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. It's not like you can drop your life mm-hmm. and go research and research and f- try to figure out what's mm-hmm. really going on, knowing that reading a couple stories in the news media might not be the best right. way to inform yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to trust somebody. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to happen. You're yeah. going to be like, who can I trust who is not so focused on winning, but that they care about the truth more than they care about anything else? Mm-hmm. And then they care about trying to bring people together in a way that that is a win for everybody, not just for them and isn't for about their own name. Who can I trust, right? Mm-hmm. And you'll look for that person, and then you'll just pick that person, and then you're going to believe that person. Mm -hmm. That's how we know probably more than 85% of what we know Mm -hmm. right? right, is by people people told us. And we decided who we could trust, and we trusted them. That's true for everybody, even scientists. Hmm. The vast majority of what every human being knows, we believed somebody who told us Mm -hmm. that we determined they were trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so there are things Christians can do, like making their own news sources and basically boycotting the ones that constantly lie to us Mm -hmm. or that are very (laughs) politicized, which is virtually all of them. Mm -hmm. Right. There are things like that. There are also like some having, you have some, like I have some friends that really research some things and then some friends that really research others. And I've built my own kind of constellations of people who know stuff about things. Mm -hmm. Like my wife, she doesn't pay any attention to the political campaigns, hardly. She asks me who she's voting for. (laughs) Not because she's the little woman that can't make up her mind, but because she's busy homeschooling our kids and all the knowledge of the world. It's a matter of time. And she hasn't been paying attention, Mm -hmm. but she trusts me. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell her. Mm -hmm. So, and when I do certain, there's certain things where I turn to my wife and I go, what am I doing? And she goes, you're doing this. And I go, okay, I just believe her. Mm-hmm. Because she's the one that's focused on being competent in that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I have people in my life that I believe are pretty competent on race. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty competent on criminality and crime and policing and pretty competent on economic policy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I turn to those people to the mm-hmm. best I can. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. So we, that is something that we need to be willing and open to do, to not withdraw mm-hmm. completely or feel like we need to drop everything in order to understand all of the things that are going on in the world around us yeah. by yeah, first, first-hand research and, and discovery. Right, and then people like me need to not need to shut up when we don't know what we're talking about. Whenever we can figure out, we don't know what we're talking about. 
Sure. But so that we guard our voice. To, sure. Right. Yes. And we got to keep asking the questions. Like, what is right? What is it that we need to do right now? Right. And like you said, not looking at that, ulti- not looking at the ultimate goal um, of what a policy should be or what high, even High Point Church church needs to stand for. Mm-hmm. But um, like you said, yeah, guiding the consciences of the people within the pews so that Christians of Madison are making wise choices to, to do the right thing. Right. Um, Moore also says on page 99 that um, the call to repentance is a necessary word in order to interrupt our headlong rush towards the way that seems right in our own eyes, a way that leads to death. Um, so in terms of mission, because again, this is big picture, like how all of these different pieces of how we should um, recognize the right things to do um, in our own situations, um, what is it that we tend to believe instead of rep- instead of the call to repentance being necessary? Um, that was just as intriguing of, of all things that he could say um, are necessary in order to to stop the um, that that race to get ahead and to be right. Um, repentance is what we need. What mm-hmm. is it that often gets in the way of that that we need to be aware of? Well, I mean, self righteousness is the is the kind of straightforward mm-hmm. answer. I mean, this is the funny thing about worldliness in religion, right? You get the two together and you're being self-righteous about your unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. That's what it amounts to, mm-hmm. right? And that's true for like progressivism, right? Progressivism is kind of religious. It's kind of a religion mm-hmm. and it doesn't hold the biblical standards of personal righteousness. So what it ends up being is self-righteousness about your unrighteousness mm-hmm. and um, self-righteous Christianity that has become worldly, right? That has either mm-hmm. become focused on materialism or focused on other, like like being socially right on other things, mm-hmm. but isn't really gospel focused, becomes kind of self-righteous about its religious viewpoints, mm-hmm. but that it doesn't realize that its Christianity has become worldly. Right. So it's really unrighteous. So even Christians in churches can get self-righteous about their unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, what Moore is saying is, yeah, you need to start with assuming you're not right. <laughs> Like, if you can start by saying, Lord, what on earth am I wrong about? Like, what, where have I, like, just assumed something is right? Mm-hmm. And he'll start with our self-righteousness about our unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. And then he'll deal with our self-righteousness about our righteousness mm-hmm. to hopefully lead us to a place where we can be humble about righteousness. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you know, you start, you start realizing that the most unrighteous person in the, in the room isn't the person who ideologically disagrees with you. Mm-hmm. But it might be you. You might be right. And you still might be the most ungodly person in the room. Because I've had this before where I've sort of, you know, ideologically moved forward with like being right in a certain area. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I realized I'd totally overlooked things. Mm -hmm. And people really were coming from a very different place than I thought they were. And in my rush to be right, I had become very self-righteous about Mm -hmm. my view. Mm -hmm. And it was only by repenting that I could come back and understand where they were coming Mm -hmm. from, really understand my view better. Oftentimes I didn't change my view. Mm But it was tempered a lot differently, and it led me to repentance. It, led, it sometimes led the other person to repentance, but it also produces love. And one of the things that people don't realize is the good life that we all want, whether in terms of a good society, like a utopian society, or just a good life for ourselves, is mostly wrapped up in a loving, self-sacrificial relationship with others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Like if you imagine a school that wasn't way behind in reading, what would be happening? Well, people would be self-sacrificially entering into that school and helping people do Mm -hmm. stuff. It would be relational and loving, Mm -hmm. right? 
that's the heart of everything. You get you get five, six people together who really love each other. I don't care what race they are. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care what culture they're from. I don't, none of that other stuff. They're going to have a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And so part in, in our rush to be right, we might get a proposition right. But if it creates relational division, we end up weaker. We don't have the, the what people call social capital. What comes from us being bonded together? Mm-hmm. And so if you, I mean, I've accomplished more with people that I disagree with, but that we like, we cared about each other. We right. trusted each other enough to like go for it. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes our solution was pretty idiotic. It wasn't a good solution, mm-hmm. but we all believed in it. We all committed mm-hmm. to something. We all went in the same direction. We all helped each other. And it was our effort. And our mm-hmm. attitude and our love for each other that accomplished the task, not our ideas. Mm-hmm. We live in a culture that's so scientifically focused and so technique focused that we actually think it's our ideas that solve problems. Mm-hmm. That's really almost never the case with social problems. Yeah, Those are all, all mm-hmm. wrapped up in the fabric of community and love that exists between people, right? Mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is in our rush to be right, we actually sever the bonds and deplete the capacity of love inside of us mm-hmm. through ju- our judging our neighbor and by mm-hmm. being self-righteous that is designed to draw us together and to produce these sort of organic, well-woven peace and love and community mm-hmm. that actually produces goods, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so in that sense, when you re- we rush to be right, not only are we not right, but we just kind of wreck everything. Mm-hmm. And Moore is right that if you start with repentance and humility... That can create unity and mutual care and love mm-hmm. and humility and all kinds of good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which will also make you a better listener, which will usually improve your views also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? All of it just takes more time. You know, it's a slower process. That, And we aren't used to that as Americans. We want to do something quick. We want to find the quick fix. And, and like you said, if we're right and we know that we're gosh darn right, then we are going to say whatever we need to say. And we can identify who the enemy is. Yeah. So we know who to hate. We yep. know that we're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? Um, just on the, again, this big picture of mission and what that really, um, what that means mm-hmm. for the church and um, specifically High Point with where we're at. Yeah, I think that what Moore is trying to do, and Lord did a good job of this on Sunday, is to say we are making disciples with the whole kingdom in view, mm-hmm. right? So yes, in some ways we can, we we're not going to be able before Jesus comes back to literally take all of creation. And bring it into the harmony of the divine trinity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. we, we're not going to be able to completely fulfill the creation mandate until Jesus returns. Mm-hmm. And so on some, on some level, social unity and political justice and economic, you know, co-honoring and mm-hmm. all of that isn't going to be achieved. Because there's going to be too many people not playing ball mm-hmm. <laughs> with where yeah. we need to go, right? Yeah. And not loving each other. But that doesn't mean you punt on all that until mm. Jesus comes back and just try to make disciples. Yeah. Because that, that's, sort of, that's sort of the fundamentalist option. It's the whole, like, th- there's a ship that sank and there's all these people floating along. You're just trying to get people in lifeboats because the ship's going down. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not a particularly Christian view. Yeah. Because we, what you do is you come together and you show the kingdom in the church mm-hmm. through showing the kingdom and living for the kingdom you hopefully improve. You're a light to society, and you're also the salt. Like you're a you're preservant of what is good in society, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to affect culture some. And by displaying the kingdom, that's part of what that's part of what you're doing. You're doing to draw people to become disciples. Mm-hmm. 
And so by making disciples and displaying the kingdom in the church and in, in our lives, um, it brings together the fact that we're, we're making disciples for a kingdom. Mm-hmm. We're inviting people to become disciples because they're going to be part of the kingdom of Jesus. They mm-hmm. are part of the kingdom of Jesus. And that frames everything. Mm-hmm. Even stuff we can't win. Christians have to become convictional enough that we can lit, we can fight the long defeat on a thousand good things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's a the, I, the concept of the long defeat is from Tolkien's book, uh, The Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That Gondor was this world of men that had been fighting Mordor mm-hmm. for three hundred years, five hundred years, mm-hmm. and they always knew they were going to lose ultimately because you can make orcs faster than women can produce young men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you always know you're going to lose, but you still you don't stop fighting, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in that sense, Tolkien wanted Christians to see themselves that way. Yeah. That you're only ever going to win in the, with the return of the king, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's and you may be at the very moment of defeat when the king returns. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of how Revelation paints it. That mm-hmm. like it is in our defeat that Christ comes in and brings victory. Yeah. But even with a view of the end, a quote eschatology that sees us losing, and then Jesus coming and winning. Mm-hmm. That does still doesn't lead us to a let's let the world burn right. mentality. Right. It it leads us to fighting the long defeat and everything mm-hmm. with a kind of convictional nobility that we can't be made exhausted. Yeah. Like Paul literally says at one point, do not grow tired of doing good. Mm-hmm. It's not because he thought we were gonna win. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um he, he, what he says in that passage is if you don't give up, ultimately there's a reward mm-hmm. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so we, we may, we're not going to win economically. We're not going to win socially mm-hmm. in any kind of ultimate kingdom sense. But in displaying the kingdom, we're going to bring about much good. Mm-hmm. And we're going to display what it would be like so that when the king returns, we will have already displayed and learn to somewhat live in the culture of that kingdom. Mm-hmm. That is so critical to remember now, especially after having... Um, the Bible Belt experience for the last 50, 60 years, where as a Christian culture, those of us who Christians living in this culture, we felt like we were winning. And so when we start to feel mm-hmm. like it's declining, it can be easy to think like, okay, this is when we're supposed to throw in the towel, like it's done. And that's just right. not true at all. And that's, again, that's what Moore attacks a lot in his book and that um, we have to recognize that, yeah, we're not supposed to give up even when in the past few decades, things seem to have changed. Yeah, both because that's not what we're doing anyway, but also because that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, people don't know this, but church attendance at the time of the First Great Awakening was like between 10 and 15%. Like people think that like when America was settled, it was like 97% church attendance. It's been slowly declining ever since, right? Mm -hmm. And we're becoming just inevitably less religious Mm -hmm. until faith will be gone and Jesus will come back and we're all going to be tortured and killed, right? Mm -hmm. That's not really the story of America. Mm -hmm. Like, America has always been an Anglo-Saxon whatever country that oppressed, Mm -hmm. you know, black people in slavery for most of its history, right? Mm -hmm. But when when George Whitfield got off the boat from England in 17-whatever, 20-something or um, 30-something, a fairly small percentage of Americans went to church. And then when he went and preached everywhere in America, just about Mm -hmm. one in five Americans heard him preach. Mm -hmm. And thousands and thousands of people started going to church, and it really changed the country. Mm-hmm. One preacher, mm-hmm. and God moving incredibly, and really changed the country. And then, same thing happened. It declined again, mm-hmm. and we had what was called the Second Great Awakening, where people like, I think it was Peter Cartwright, was like, you know, preaching through Illinois, and he's like, 
preaching outdoors and these like 10 drunk people come make fun of him, throw bottles at him while he's trying to preach. And he gets down and he beats them all up <laughs> and puts them in the front row, preaches yeah. and they all get saved. Right. Mm-hmm. That, these kinds of, and God did this incredible thing in the movement West and the Methodist church expanded at like a hundred percent a year mm-hmm. and the Baptists as well. Mm-hmm. And it was unbelievable. The revival that happened in some ways, the second great awakening was more incredible mm-hmm. and more problematic than the first great awakening. <laughs> And then what happened is during the progressive era, Christianity declined again, mm-hmm. right? Church attendance declined again. Even during the, quote, Christian century, church attendance was steadily declining, mm-hmm. partly because of the horrors of World War I and because of, they were becoming a lot more secular as a mm-hmm. country. Yeah. But then after World War I, the Great Depression, the horrific depression of Europe, the humiliation of the Weimar Republic, which became then the Nazis, the mm-hmm. Nazi Germany, right? And then the horror of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. people were kind of skeptical about the Christian century mm-hmm. of secular, progressive, whatever that mm-hmm. meant. And from 1944 to 1970, there was a huge revival in America. Again, mm-hmm. it was the age of Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. Church attendance went from, I don't know, something 20% up to like 44%. Mm-hmm. And um, it was an amazing change to where in 1976 or 70, when Carter was elected, Newsweek called it the year of the evangelical. Mm-hmm. That like America had like, sort of out of nothing become an evangelical nation. Mm-hmm. Like 85% of Americans said they'd been born again, whatever that mm-hmm. meant to them, mm-hmm. you know, which of course couldn't be biblically true. Right. But that many people have been like, I'm on that team, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, That wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. right? right? And so we've gone through this era where we've been like, ah, whatever, mm-hmm. which reminds you a little bit like the book of Judges, mm-hmm. right? They're like, ah, yeah. oh, we'll do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And then things go really badly. Mm-hmm. And then people say, wait a second, wasn't there a Lord or something? And then they cry out to the Lord, and mm-hmm. the Lord restores them. Mm-hmm. And then they that kind of cyclical decline. Now, in Judges, it gets worse every time until a very mm-hmm. profound destruction. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you make it back necessarily really. It, right where you it's were. Not, mm-hmm. It's not linear. Mm-hmm. But I think in America we shouldn't be like, well, you know, eh. well, you know, mm-hmm. America has had lower church attendance than this. Mm-hmm. It's been very pragmatic. It's in some ways we're more immoral in that we don't even call things that were considered immoral immoral. But listen, when we were building railroads west, there were pro- I mean there were prostitutes, there were whorehouses everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean drunkenness and people, sh- I mean shooting each other and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the idea that like we're so much worse now is a little weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That God, I mean, if God didn't judge America into nothing for slavery, yeah then really the fact that we're like, we think being gay is cool, that's really so much worse Mm -hmm. that we're now the new Sodom. So Mm -hmm. I think revival has always been a question of the remnant, the people who did call the Mm -hmm. Lord the Lord and what they are like. It's never been about the big big society. It's always been about God's remnant, the Mm -hmm. people who still call on his name and what they are like. Mm -hmm. If there's no remnant, there's no redemption. Mm -hmm. If there is what the Bible calls a remnant, then there can be. Mm-hmm. And so it has a lot more to do with you and me than right. it has to do with whoever is sleeping with whoever they want and doing whatever they want. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah. Great. So I think when you see it that way, you can see like um, our mission has nothing to do with our success. Mm-hmm. God does all kinds of things in the providence of history. Mm-hmm. Our job is to, is to fight the fight mm-hmm. against sin, not against people. And to fight if, to fight the long defeat, if that's what's asked of us, but to get out there and and believe in the kingdom and to live towards God's goodness in all realms 
and to tell the world we live in that the only way we can ever do this is through trans- the transformation of the spirit that comes from Christ. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we can't ever achieve it. Yeah. And that the world out there, they're not trying to be as bad as they can be. Everybody out there believes they're a good person. Mm-hmm. And right. they all have a story they want to tell themselves about how they're helping the world become a better place. And the story we have to tell them is, if you really want what you say you want, if you really want the happy ending you say you seek, there is actually only one way to get there, and that is through the King. Mm-hmm. And King Jesus has made that possible. And if you come to him, you will get that happy ending. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in this life, but in our life with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now we can show the kingdom in all we do and invite people to be part of it. Yeah. Great. Thank you. I yeah. to hear that. That's good. Um, if you're listening and, again, you do want to hear those uh, the sermons that we've been having over the last few weeks in September, um, you can go to highpointchurch.org slash sermons and look those up there. And um, you can also subscribe to our podcasts and um, continue listening to our growth classes as well, where we're covering this content. So thank you for listening and we'll see you again.